everyone and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is written, produced, and engineered in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known as the East Bay Area. Tonight we will begin a series in discussion called Shades of Other. Each episode will revisit different aspects of life, beginning with America and our racial identity. On tonight's show, we will discuss recent news and the rash of police being called on people of color just for doing everyday things, barbecuing, waiting at a table, even sleeping on a couch. Then we'll get a bit more in-depth with family therapist Ms. Monica Scott Davis. And we will have some thoughts from our three-person panel, myself, Steve Grievous, Stevie G, my, co- my co-host, Aria Moshier, and graduate apprentice, Junior Jackson. All that tonight on Full Circle. We are your hosts, Stevie G. And Aria, stay with us. Again, welcome to Full Circle and the premiere of the new series, Shades of Other. The Nature of Prejudice, a book by Gordon W. Alport back in 1954, and subsequent analysis of the psychology that leads to irrational fears have very real and potentially deadly consequences for certain segments of our society we call the United States of America. I first heard about this book in a discussion between Malcolm X and James Baldwin. While I pledge allegiance to the flag of this great country, I live the American experience as a citizen and black man of African descent. Through my typo blood and many other physical and emotional similarities I have with every other citizen of the same and different culture, there are challenges that we need to address. I am a human being. I know it. Do white people know it? Do all people know it? Thanks for sharing that, Steve. Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote a book titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? The choice is really only one where we as both individuals and collectively determine that destiny we call our future. People sailed to this land as a protest in pursuit of freedom and to rid themselves of a monarchy. These United States are a relatively new experiment in democracy. But are we all living the so-called American dream? Do we all have that freedom? Pulled from recent news, let's hear some of the lived experiences of our fellow Americans and ask ourselves, does this sound like the home of the brave and the land of the free? Sharkasia Clemens was inside of a Waffle House and she was taking an order and she was asking for utensils. The person at the register stated, well, it's going to be a 50 cent charge. And she stated that, well, I'm not going to pay for utensils when I've never paid for them before, an extra 50 cent charge. Then came in the Saraland police. This cop grabbed on her, had her on the floor. They were choking her by the neck exposed her breast. The other one looked like he was trying to pull down her clothes. This is what these three cops did to this woman. Why 
devastating to have to, you know, try to justify yourself on the side of the highway to a state patrolman when you're just trying to come home from a funeral, which is what happened to us in May of 1992. And he said we were speeding, but instead of just giving my cousin a ticket, he wanted to search the car and he wouldn't take no for an answer. And it didn't matter that I told him that I was a public defender. And we were standing there on the side of the road um, while a German shepherd um, jumped all over our car and sniffed it. I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is terrible. You know, I went to Harvard Law School for this, but at that point, that degree meant nothing. Um, all that really mattered was the color of my skin. We know that you can't drive while black in America. We see that with Philando Castillo. You can't walk around at nighttime while black. We see that with Trayvon Martin. And now you can't nap while black? You got your ID on you? Yeah, I do. All right, can we see that? Why? Because we got a police call for you. We need to make sure that you belong here. Okay, let me open my apartment for you so that you can see that I belong here. I don't think there's a need for you to be here. I think you probably need to commit her to an institution. We don't know what happened. We're trying to get down to the bottom of it. She began to interrogate me on spot. Uh, she asked me if I was a Yale student. I responded, yes, I was, and reaching for my ID, she started screaming and saying, basically, um, if you're lost and you don't know where the common room is, you must be an intruder. You need to get out. You're making me uncomfortable. Um, you need to leave. Confused, I turned my back and went to the base of the staircase, and she was on top of the 12th floor screaming at me still. The doors are locked. I mean, there's security passes that you got to go through. Okay, and then, and then even to get on the elevator? You would have to have a resident key. She ended up calling police on me. We found that out when Lolade, a friend of mine, came to the common room, which was on the 12th floor of the Hall of Graduate Studies. Um, and when Lolade came back, she came back with police officers who had told her that they were looking for a suspicious character, quote-unquote. There's an issue that needs to be addressed and that needs to have not only just a conversation within the Yale community, but a nationwide conversation. When is the black person allowed to just be in spaces? Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. Those sounds you just heard are from recent events across this country. Again, ask, again, we ask you, one and all, does that sound like freedom? What and who are the police protecting in those examples? What and who do they serve? Now, joining myself and Aria to reflect on these things is a person that some longtime listeners of Full Circle will remember. He was a part of Group 39, Fuego del Sueño, or Dreams of Fire. He became a graduate apprentice when he completed the program in 2015 and since has gone on to earn his doctor in jurisprudence has become a lawyer focusing on cooperative development cooperative development all right hey. 
Well, welcome back to the KPFA Airways, Mr. Junior Jackson. Thanks, man. Welcome, Junior. It feels good to be here, and man, it's, it's good to see y'all doing your thing, man. The apprenticeship program's still strong. Yeah. Good stuff, man. It's, it's been fun. It's been a good experience, huh? Yeah, absolutely. All right, all right. Well, upon hearing some of this, uh, of this emotion and emotionally, what comes immediately to mind? And, you know, I think of it, first off, it's a, it's a painful moment uh, when you're involved in a situation like this and, re- and a reminder that race matters quite a bit in this nation. You know, for myself, I remember experiences throughout my life where it was either implied or stated directly that my, pres- my presence was just not welcome. Uh, this has occurred in neighborhoods, parks, mm-hmm. elevators, areas, uh, where similar to some of the sound examples might have been considered common areas or public areas. Mm. So how do you all feel about that? Are you? Or- uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where when you put yourself in these situations, you may have to alter how you're behaving just to try to make someone else comfortable um, when you're just going about doing anything out of the ordinary like any, any other uh, being is doing. Um, so when, when I hear stuff like that, it, it's the same kind of feeling I always get when I listen to those sounds. Your stomach kind of turns and you wonder why someone has to be put in that situation and then you get angry. And that's why we're here fighting. Junior? To be honest, I'm a little bit over it. And I'm also over trying to pander to middle-income European-Americans. Uh, you know, like, we're in 2018, you know, and I don't, I really can't say that any person I know is, like, wanting to do this pandering or, like, we all feel like um, a European-American looking at us and, you know, because we got that melanin pop and we, you know, we're a little bit more connected and like okay i uh when trump became president last year Mm -hmm. the day before that i dipped out to africa because i just didn't want to be here i thought i wasn't coming back (laughs) like for real for real the day before the uh the inauguration i was gone oh man and the most beautiful thing happened to me while i was in nairobi i was in a country where everyone looked like me and everyone just let me mind my business and it was great Mm. And there was nothing wrong with the country. Like, I mean, okay, hold on. Kenya has its problems. Right, right, <laughs> they, right. They just had, like, this really big uh, election thing happening where we can get into that later if you guys want. But, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, my psyche, like, just felt so at ease. Like, being in tra- in a traffic jam where all the people look like me and they ain't looking at me like, is this person about to try and come over here and take my things, you know? Right, right. Like, uh, so I just want to be free, you know? And uh, I heard this thing um, on the internet um, yesterday that was uh, posing this question, are we free or are we free range? Mm. And I feel like, <laughs> and I feel like most people don't want to answer that because if you, if you, if you want to be honest about it, we, we're a little bit free range and the police are making sure we don't cross the boundaries. Mm, that's an interesting thought. Right. Free range. Yeah. Huh? Free range. Mm. Well, yeah. Um, I can I, I, I definitely see the limitations. I see how uh, the attempts are and the structure is is set to kind of keep us in a box. But I think the challenge is always then how do we figure out ways to break out of that? And that's actually why you know I definitely want us to kind of think about these things and actually discuss them because it's really going to take us to calm down a little bit because it, it, these these are emotionally charged times. But to calm down and maybe just think through uh, became what I like to call become angry 
instead of getting mad about what's happening and see if we can break down those barriers, if we can break down the boxes, because that's really what happened with the uh, civil rights and making some moves in that direction so that we had these voting rights and that, and that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, like how you said, not getting mad and um, using using that energy and taking it somewhere to, to create the change and go go do the work. Stop talking about it and putting it off. Do it now. We need it now. The environment needs it now. Humanity needs it now. Uh, it couldn't be more clear. Um, so it's the time now. Wow. So any other thoughts on this? or? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm into cooperatives, um, which are a certain kind of enterprise where um, the people who work in the company mm-hmm. own the business. Ah. So that means uh, one member, one vote. So you get to decide on big decisions and everyone shares equally in the profits deter- uh, d- uh, depending on you know how you structure that profit sharing formula. And I believe these are what we need to do because until we stop putting our money into the pockets of these rich people who are mostly European Americans who mostly want to keep subjecting us and oppressing us so that they can continue to earn money. Like until we take the money out of their pockets, like things aren't really going to change very much. So like, uh, I'm like I said, like I'm not, I'm not really for pandering. I'm a little bit over the marching. Like, let's just get to business. Like mm-hmm. let's let like, let's be serious about this. Like if if we don't want to if we don't want the Koch brothers to uh, influence elections so much, then stop giving them money. Like research what businesses they have and don't patronize those businesses exactly. and patronize the people who like actually care and matter. Good deal. All right. Well, thanks for those thoughts, Junior and Ari. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, now we're going to take a trip down memory lane to those kindergarten first couple of grade days where the dream of oneness was experienced by mostly all children, uh, a time when a sense of wonder was the most important thing in our lives. So let's remember in song what themes of equality we were all taught right along with when we learned the Pledge of Allegiance and America the Beautiful.
Welcome back to Full Circle. This is 94.1 KPFA, Pacifica Radio. We were just listening to the Busy Beavers with their song, People in Our Community. Before that, we heard our three-person panel commenting on the types of emotions we felt surrounding the recent explosion of people questioning accusations and the police being called on black folks and other people of color for doing ordinary things like having a barbecue or sleeping on a couch, taking a college tour. The list goes on. You know, maybe for uh, white America or European Americans, these incidents are brand new tales of woe. Uh, but as a technologist, I, I just thank God for the smartphones, uh, the web internet platform and social media that finally allows us to document what's been discussed for decades, if not uh, centuries, and produce these facts of these incidents and share them wi widely, uh, almost instantly. Uh, ultimately, we want these incidents to end, but first we need to understand why they happen and how to reduce their frequency, if not eliminate them altogether. We need solutions. I would like to introduce this excerpt of uh, Tom Hartman interviewing Dr. Michael Eric Dyson as he covered his book, Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America in 2017. Uh, this book is relatively new with the election of uh, POTUS 45 and the climate of racial, intoler uh, racial intolerance permeating our national atmosphere. In this clip, we hear Dr. Dyson discuss his own experience, and Mr. Tom Hartman recognized that privilege he enjoys as a, a European-American, as a white man. Yeah. You know, many white people say to me, look, you're richer than me. You're a professor at Georgetown. What the hell are you talking about? And yet that privilege of encountering a law enforcement officer and not dying is one of the greatest privileges ever. And it has nothing to do with money at that level. It's a presumption of humanity. I was outside of an eatery in Washington, D.C., and a young kid was arguing with the police, cussing them out. And I said to myself, oh, my God, they're going to shoot him. And then I said, well, no, they're not really going to shoot him. He's a young white kid. And the police say the following, uh, son, it's clear that you're inebriated. You need to go home and sleep it off. I was like, wow, could we get that? Could we get that presumption of humanity? And many white people don't understand that that is a kind of presumptuousness, uh, a presumption about humanity, a presumption about you're not out to hurt me. You could be my kid. You could be my cousin. You could be my uncle. That we don't get extended to us as people of color. And that kind of privilege is deeply ingrained and entrenched. And what's, what happens is that many white people don't understand that whiteness gets rendered invisible. So whiteness is an invention. It's a fiction. It's a mythology trying to justify and legitimate a certain place of white people in the order of the universe thinking that things center around uh, whiteness and that whiteness is an inherent uh, identity that is inherently that is a, a inherently good because if you think you're American you know a lot of white people say why can't you people just get over race why can't you just talk about being human because they see themselves as human they don't think that they are quote raced they don't see that you know whiteness becomes invisible which becomes universal which becomes normal which means that you're just human. But all of that stuff that's caught up in there is rarely spoken about. Oh, and that also implies that anything other than whiteness is not really human. That's exactly and, what and, it is. And this is, um, you know, I, I mentioned my own growing up because um, I, growing up as a kid, I never thought about race, frankly. Course, I mean, you know, outside of looking on TV and saying, oh, yeah, there's the marching going on or, right, you know. Right. Um, and, and it wasn't until I was in high school that I started 
interacting with people of color and discovering that they were talking about race all the time. Right, right. And I had never talked about race. Right, exactly. And, and that, you know, I probably was 40 or 50 years old before it dawned on me right. that that was the most powerful part of white privilege, yeah. was that I never had to think about race. That's a great I never point. had to wonder what impact my race was going to have That's if I right. walked into a restaurant, if I tried to get a job, anything That's like that. That's right. Going to a store, get followed around in a retail uh, store and wondering if you have enough money to pay or the police stop you wondering if you're going to live uh, it is it is one of the marks of a of a privilege not to have to understand it not to have to grapple with it not to understand it as privilege many white brothers and sisters don't have to think about race our their lives don't depend on it your survival doesn't depend, depend upon knowing us your livelihood is not contingent on knowing black people or brown or red or yellow people so as a result of that there is a kind of privilege that blinds people or that makes them less sensitive to uh, the kinds of issues that black people and other people of color take for granted every day you know and the, but if you're terrorized arbitrary forms of authority brought down on your head for no other reason than that you are black or that you look suspicious or that you engender skepticism uh, it's difficult for people to understand just how thoroughly degrading and humiliating that is and how it it, it, it alienates you from yourself the demonization of black America is that it's real. I mean, it's one of the most uh, devastating consequences of an unconscious whiteness and the privilege it takes not to hurt or harm itself or demonize itself, but to cast dispersions on the, the, the character of uh, people of color, especially black people, is an extension of a certain logic of whiteness that, that really has to be unmasked. Welcome back to Full Circle, right here on 94.1 KPFA. That was an excerpt from an interview by Tom Hartman as Dr. Michael Eric Dyson discussed his new book, Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America. Tonight, we are premiering a new series called Shades of Other, and we are focusing on our racial identity in America. We are here as part of our three-person panel, myself, Stevie G, along with my co-host here, Aria, and also joining us is graduate apprentice, Junior Jackson. There are a lot of interesting points to what Dr. Dyson was saying. So, gentlemen, how do you feel about white privilege, knowing that whatever that privilege is, whatever that privilege is, does not rest in our experience, as uh, the first segment mentioned, uh, being black is problematic in just being? Yeah, um, it's it's really heavy, you know, Um, having to move through life with that weight on you. Um, I think. Childish Gambino also said something uh, similar to what uh, Dr. Dyson was saying, where uh, if you're, you know, quote, white, um, you're a blank slate and people normally don't project things on you. And um, yeah, just just the fact of having to deal with that mentally and and spiritually, like uh, wondering if people are projecting on you. And then when people are actually projecting on you, like dealing with that inner interchange uh, that that conversation that it, it's something that like I, I could i think anyone would say i don't want to do that anymore heavy stuff yeah definitely heavy stuff yeah i mean i share similar sentiments it it's a feeling where um you're you're being humiliated for just being what you are and um you know you just there's certain things that you have to go through that white folks never have to deal with as far as maybe going to school or getting a job, things that you have to deal with uh, along the way of 
you know, it's you know, you're supposed to do your do your work and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and live the American dream. But it just doesn't work out the way that way the majority of the time. Sometimes we do see successful, you know, black and brown people, but that's not reflective of the entire population, the majority of people on this planet. Yeah, well, actually, those examples actually are a, a response and answer to show you this how. Um how much of a problem actually exists, right? I mean, because those few those examples are really few and far between. It's not the norm, you know, which is what we see. Um, uh, just quickly, I remember a, 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 a comment that Chris Rock made where he talked about where he lived and he talked about, you know, what he does being a comedian. He said, you know, Eddie Murphy's down the street from me and he talked about, you know, the few black people. He said, you know who my next door neighbor is? <laughs> his, uh, 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 his, Euro- his European American neighbor was a dentist. That's it. You know, <laughs> so he wasn't this world renowned, uh, you know, entertainer, you know, one of the top three maybe in the world at the box office. It was a regular dude, you know, someone who's done well, as you mentioned, worked hard, pulled himself up by his bootstraps. But when he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, uh, he's in the game with everybody else. It's uh, kind of similar to Trump, where he says, oh, I did it all by myself, only had a million-dollar loan. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and, and there are questions as to how much money he was actually loaned by his dad. And, and someone, I mean, someone was saying, you know, with inflation, it could have been close to, the, uh, 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 you know, $30 million that he was actually loaned in terms of mm-hmm. uh, the amount, the, the value of the dollar he had at that time. But he just makes it like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, that's all I got, really. Yo, there's this uh, uh, documentary on Netflix. I think it's called American Greed. And the very last episode is about Donald Trump. And it talks about basically how his whole career, all he did was make it appear as if he was successful. But in reality, like he borrowed a bunch of money, barely did any uh, development. And most of the development that you do see was actually done by someone else who just used his name because he was able to like he knew how to do that, like that press stuff and get his name out there. So the only reason why we know Trump is because he's a good press person, but he's not a good businessman. And we can see that right now, the way he's running the office, like our country is falling apart. Yeah, he's definitely he's he's definitely given the institutions a good shaking, you know. So to the foundations, I think everything's been shaken and challenged uh, in ways that I don't even think his supporters imagined. But it's great for us. Can can we just imagine? Can we can we acknowledge that that Trump is great for us right now? Like not in the sense of like what he's doing, but in the sense of where we are right now in terms of the conversation. Because we couldn't have these kinds of conversations when Obama was in office. People would be like, we're not racist, we voted for Obama. <laughs> and now it's that's like... <laughs> right. Well, that's true. Yeah, I guess the covers come, you know, you know, the, 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 the uh, covers have been pulled back. Mm. And now that they've been pulled back... Or do you mean the sheets? <laughs> the sheets? The sheets. <laughs> as in the sheets with the holes in them, <laughs> with little pointy top. <laughs> they've been pulled on, not off. <laughs> well, you know, it... it, it, it they're, they're, to your point, I think there is a lot to be said for um, being able to deal with it directly. Um, I know um, uh, I went to school in the South, and one of the things about that is that at least you knew who you were dealing with. Um, it, it wasn't like being out here, you know, I'm from Oakland, but it wasn't like being out here where maybe things are glossed over and mm-hmm. you don't always see it directly, and you're not going to be called certain words I mean, at well, times, uh, but you're going to be dealing with uh, with the issues. I'm sorry. No, no, no. This, uh, I'm sorry. I just get like uh, really animated about this because we do yeah. see it directly. 
actually. And it's argued that California is actually one of the more racist states. We have the highest, um, like, people make the most money in California. We, like, we're basically a nation. Uh, in the world, we make about, f we're about number five in terms of GDP in the world. That's just California. And you see all this homelessness. Who do you see on the streets a lot of times? Right now, like, I'm seeing a lot of people who are who are brown-skinned right, so out on the streets. So, like, we're, we're, those people got displaced from somewhere. And another thing I'm noticing is that Oakland and the Bay Area, like we say, like we're told it's a, there's an affordable housing crisis. But there's also a lot of empty buildings. There's a lot of empty buildings. And all of these houseless people could be housed if people had the compassion. But the problem with where we are right now is... A lot of a lot of our problems are mental and uh, have to do with what we've been taught and what we're not really willing to get rid of. Like um, similar to my, uh, Eric, uh, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, a uh, short uh, plug. He's going to be uh, doing a talk for KPFA on June 14th uh, with um, nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hosted by Kevin Cartwright. Uh, so y'all can get tickets for that if you want. Um, it's going to be at First Congregational Church. Um, but uh, what he was saying is like really, really timely. And I think like to just put that aside, like it doesn't matter is, is not doing a uh, service. Yeah. Um, I think also something that I talked to Steve here a lot about is a, uh, the role that Hollywood and the media plays mm -hmm. and uh, the depiction of uh, black men, brown men. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can go everywhere from Birth of a Nation on up to the Rocky movies. Um, and you clearly see how they can create such villainous versions of us and such emasculated versions of us. And, um, and unfortunately, like you said, we've been so conditioned. Um, it's a mental thing. It's a mental illness that, that people have. And, um, they're not reckon they're not recognizing and seeing humanity in, in other uh, in other people and it's uh th this is what we get now we get people that are quick to judge you you know so definitely we definitely all right well thank you thank you greg and aria for those comments uh, we're going to take a music break and when we come back we will be speaking with our family therapist uh, ms monica scott davis and get her thoughts on these latest news stories and just why are people uh European people, uh, white people, European Americans in general, calling the police on us. Stay with us. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the Sound of the 
Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA. Tonight, we are featuring the first episode in a special series called Shades of Other. At this time, we would like to extend a very warm and heartfelt welcome to a first-time guest and my favorite older cousin, Ms. Monica Scott Davis. Welcome, Ms. Scott Davis. Thank you for having me. Why'd you have to say older? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're my cousin. And I'm going to take a shot even though we're on the air. <laughs> okay. I'll get you back Because I love you. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Scott Davis is a family therapist and has dealt for decades with the post-traumatic stress disorder of racial profiling here in America, as discussed by Dr. Michael Eric Dyson. We again thank you for coming in tonight. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, before we get too deep into it, uh, how are you doing on a Friday? Doing great. Rooting for the Warriors. There you go. The Warriors <laughs> are playing tonight. You know, Mark's actually at the game with little little Elijah, so my nephew's there. Cousin's <sighs> nephew's there. Nephew's there seeing the game live. I hope I get to see them before they leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, could you please 
you know, relate to us, you know, what brought you into the field of psychology? And, you know, give me like the elevator speech of your practice. Okay. Well, actually, I just kind of fell into the field of psychology because I was doing a lot of tutoring with kids, um, you know, in East Oakland and West Oakland. And then I decided to get into uh, psychology. And my first group of kids I was working with were uh, mainly foster care youth, you know, and um I, they just really touched my heart, and um, I saw many of them were not getting um, the treatment or the care or the continued um, support once they exited the system. So that's how I decided to go into the field of psychology. As you know, I came from a science background. All right, all right. So, again, we want to thank you for coming in tonight. And, uh, you know, one of the things I'd like to get into, you know, you've been hearing about, you know, what we've been playing so far with mm -hmm. the show and some of the discussion points. Um, and, of course, the news events and what's been happening. Why so much drama when encountering people of color uh, and in these examples, people, black people in particular, by, uh, you know, European Americans? Uh, is there some historical tie-in to maybe asking for your past? Is it slavery days? Is it, is it that? You know, what is your opinion on some of this? Well, when you look at the history even of policing in America, um, especially in the southern states, a lot of the policing came from slave patrols and is basically um, pr preserving their property, which was human human cattle, <laughs> which was um, right. our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And so I feel a lot of times, even though some things have changed legislatively, people's hearts haven't changed. You know, and I remember watching an interview one time with Denzel Washington, and he says, you can't legislate love. You know, people's viewpoints come from their family of origin and their communities of origin. That's a great point. Ms. Scott Davis, in many of these calls and cases, we have some element of perceived rule or law breaking or even fear in the story being told by the caller. Where's the fear factor in coffee, luggage, or barbecuing and sleeping? I really feel like it's... Um, Unfortunately, even the, the history of, you know, European Americans when they come to this country, they've come here and then they've acquired the land by taking it. And then even, I had one teacher who told me, um, if you look at property law in Britain, it is so the minutia of them, you know, enforcing their rights. So they immediately think when they come to a new area, even if they're coming into a neighborhood, you know, with the gentrification going on, now it is ours. Now I must protect it. And the police is the arm um, of that. So they call the police for minor infractions instead of coming to a community and a learning about the people or becoming a member of that. They tend to be very possessive, you know, not all, but I feel that's what's going on. Interesting. Interesting about that with, uh, with going back to, to Britain mm -hmm. and some of the history there. Um, but let's, let's try to unpack some of the why. Do you feel that there's a fear factor of just some other things besides the capital side? Yeah, look at the way we were possessed, um, you know, portrayed in the media, you know. It's very few and far between that you see good stories about what we're doing. Like, there's so many stories going on of, like, there was one young man who got 
accepted to every school in the nation. That should have been an ongoing news feed. But no, mm -hmm. but anytime there's something negative going on about people of color, you see it over and over again. You see our men over and over again handcuffed. You see families torn apart. Everything is portrayed in a negative way towards people of color on the media. I mean, there are some good stories, but I've, I don't see the cycle on the news feed. It's like it's... We're constantly fed like black people, brown people, illegal, black people, um, criminal. That's how it's portrayed. So reinforcing the negative. Reinforcing the negative. Gotcha. Uh, Monica, how do we begin or continue relationships that seem to make it from childhood to adolescence but then abruptly stop? I really feel um, like in the Dyson piece, it's really the humanity. We... We're, the burden really can't be on people of color. You know, it has to be people, um, you know, European-Americans. They have to decide, I don't want to hold these views. You know, like you may have came from a very homogeneous society and um, then you move to an area where there's different people. Come as a student when you move into those co those communities. Um, you know, expand your horizons. I think like travel, and travel might not necessarily mean get on a plane, but traveling across town to another neighborhood. And, you know, come open, see their humanity, and, and see what you, what is um, similar, with the similarities that you have. No, that's a great point. Those are great points mm -hmm. you made. Um, I can... Uh kind of remember some times when, you know, some people who I knew from college time and they mentioned, and these we you know, a few white people and they mentioned uh, they had some issues in their past, mm -hmm. but how they maybe overcame some of that mm -hmm. with just the familiarity and to be able to understand that, hey, this person's living on my floor and in getting to know them, uh, our backgrounds are pretty similar, right. not dissimilar. Right. So you're so much on the point, so much on point. And you have to take an active, um, you have to actively decide to change your belief system with racism or prejudice or with anything. You have to take that step. And um, that's what people, especially, um, you know, our European Americans that are friends, sometimes the step is just, sometimes we need them to stand up and say, this is wrong, just like the lady did at the barbecue who took the uh, picture. I'm going to stand up, you know, as a Caucasian American and show that this is wrong, you know, because your silence, you know, exactly. is Martin dangerous. Exactly. had a quote yeah. about that, right, about what happens when people are silent. Right. Mm -hmm. right. They say uh, also the most dangerous white man isn't the extreme one, but the moderate. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Okay. Um... So maybe if we can continue on maybe with this familiarity, what are some things that can be done maybe to maybe help break down those barriers of familiarity in terms of, you know, I, I know you mentioned some things about visiting some different areas, mm -hmm. but uh, maybe in some of what you're doing, some of the work that you're doing with some of the kids, how do you, how do you, how do you approach that maybe where we begin younger so that they're socialized earlier mm -hmm. and understand that, hey, uh, that that person who's my friend at five can still be that friend at 25. Right. I think it. a lot of it has to do with the educational process. I, I know when I was in college, that was when I first got introduced to even learn about different cultures. Sometimes I'm just still learning now, like the experience of Asian Americans and Latino Americans, you know, as an adult. But that shouldn't start. You shouldn't be able to get exposed 
at a late age because you should be exposed in grade school. I mean, we have a huge history, you know, in America. Why do we just get one history, which is primarily European history? It's kind of funny that you just mentioned that. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, I know that a lot of other countries and cultures, they're they're bilingual. And I think in this nation, it's, I mean, I'll be honest, I know English. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've taken classes in French and Spanish, but I haven't been uh, uh, in the culture, uh, so it becomes part of me as well, where I would then become more sensitive and more open to that experience. Right. And that's that's kind of the downfall of where we are, even just logistically in America. We don't have to um, go and deal with other um, communities where other cultures other countries but um, and so we're just stuck like even even the fact of things like we still have the English measurement system we're just so this is the way we're going to be we don't branch out <laughs> when the rest of the world is doing yeah. something else you know that is, that we is. tend to be very closed you know and if you want to change if you want to change especially if you hold thoughts um based from your community, your family of origin, you know, where you have all these racial stereotypes, you have to branch out. Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think that exposure to different people is key because seeing that humanness in all of us is what's missing. And um, I think uh, um, Brother Junior Jackson, what he was saying earlier, was hit right on there. It's a it's a mental problem that we have that exactly. we're dealing with. Exactly. So then you wonder where our leadership is taking us as of today. You know, um, we don't have um, people that are sort of branching out into the new or the unknown. It's sort of retreating back into the past of what might have felt comfortable mm-hmm. in our past. Whether that past is a good, a, a, a good feeling about that past or not so good feeling, depending on your perspective, right? Because uh, I'm not so sure that... Uh, pre-60s that a lot of people of African descent are looking to go back to those days where uh, you had the uh, Jim Crow right. in full effect. And, you know, with our current um, president, I mean, that's the platform that he used to get, um, you know, to get the presidency. However, he's doing a disservice not just to people of color, but to uh, European Americans. I mean, he's taken us back where we're not seeing each other, like what Dyson was talking about, recognizing each one of our humanity. You know, when you recognize another person's humanity, when you see them as a brother, sister, friend, neighbor, it's, it's pretty hard to say they're the ones that are the problem. Yeah. And that's that. And again, that's and that's and that's just going back to even even these examples. You know that you know the what, what we were hearing in the very beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. So here you have someone who lives in the same dorm, right? Two two doors away from two doors Rachel. away. Right. Um, sees someone asleep, can't ask a question, mm-hmm. and instead believes that the police is the next logical step. Right. Right. What sense does that make? Another time, and again, they, I, I believe the uh, the black students were friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, the student was lost in the dorm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not unknown to be lost somewhere on campus, right. and you're trying to find your way. And the response, instead of let me help you, it's let me call the police on you. Right. You know, let me try to treat you as less than human, less of, less than belonging, less than being a part of. You couldn't possibly become a part of this community. Yeah. Like, you're not uh, my fellow student. You're not, yeah. 
you're not my doormate. That's that's what's you know. How do we put pe- why do people put person like there that that person or it's probably even was attack on this lady's whole ego. How dare you even be in the same school that I'm in? How dare you even be in Yale? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know because I've been taught based on the way I was raised that you aren't even deserving to come here or don't have the intellect to be here. And that's because that and that was denying her humanity and her intellect. Definitely, definitely. And there was another piece to that uh, to that event there where, um, you know, the uh, Sarah, I guess that's her name, mm-hmm. took pictures, took pictures. And then when uh, Lola, I believe, responded and taking pictures herself, he said, oh, you can't take pictures of me. It's like, well, you can take pictures of me. You can record this for yourself, but I don't have the right to do that. And it was just great to see her respond and stand up for herself, mm-hmm. not just with the student, but with the um, uh, uh, campus police as well. And to speak about her rights and speak on her rights and that she was not going to stand for the harassment. She called it what it was, violence and harassment. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Well, um, again, that was the voice of Ms. Monica Scott Davis, a family therapist. Uh, How do we reach... You know, how do we reach you? How do we contact you? Well, I have a practice here in Berkeley. I'm at uh, 2034 Blake Street. And I see... um, families and children in the evenings and on uh, the weekends because I am also a social worker at Center for Elders Independence <laughs> during <right>. the day. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Many hats, many yes, hats. Yes. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, thanks again for joining us on KPFA tonight uh, for our first installment of Shades of Other right here on Full Circle. We'll be right back to wrap up uh, after our short break, short music break. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey.
Welcome back to KPFA 94.1 FM. That was the great Marvin Gaye with his classic and seems always timely. What's going on? The show tonight was the first in a series called Shades of Other. A big thank you to Stevie G who produced the show. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, so nice. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. But all the help with the First Voice Apprenticeship Program and and what Full Circle affords us here. That's what's been fantastic. Um, And thank you, Aria, for being my co-pilot with me tonight. Happy to be here, man. All right, all right. So I want to take these last couple of minutes, and let's get your thoughts on uh, where we can go from here. You know, how can we educate each other so these disturbing and possibly deadly encounters can be reduced and stopped? You know, what white people or European-American people seem to not understand as they generally uh, avoid race as a concept uh, that does not seem to affect their lives directly. They not understand the impact or difference in experience black people have with the police or people of color have with the police. Mm. Uh, You know, barbecuing at a park is nothing close to a problem, but it turned into one. Uh, In fact, in Oakland, (laughs) where the young lady called, the town showed up and pushed back in earnest. So kudos to that young white woman that recorded the event and posted it for all to see. I mean, that was beautiful to see the, the response to, uh, to, the, to that insane action and then to see that positive response that came from, from the community. Uh, so, you know, black people do call police and are appreciative of the organization um, for the most part. The problem is, again, one of self-reflection and intervention. You know, there are good police out there. Uh, it would be good, a good decision for the entire community uh, if they could turn in those that they know are the problem and make that institution and our lives better overall. So, uh, you know, that is also a part of protect and serve. You know, so we have to be more self-reflective, as, uh, you know, Monica mentioned earlier, that, hey, this isn't our problem to solve. It's uh, for the collective to deal with. Oh, uh, yes. I, yes to all you said. Uh, (laughs) It's too late to argue about whether or not there's good police and all that stuff. I think there are good people, and I'm not sure whether or not there's good police yet because they haven't been turning in each other. So that's... And that's that's a valid point, but that's why we have shades of other. We're going to get to these different pieces Uh, as we go forward. Yeah, Yeah, and I just just want to say for me, I don't... don't have any faith in that institution there needs to be something completely new community policing or some of that sort but to your point where you said what can we do to educate each other i think you hit it on earlier is to uh get away from giving our money to these people so setting up all our things you see it going on in the world you're seeing it going on in uh, palestine you're seeing it happen here but to educate ourselves and what not to consume whether it's the news or the food that we're eating how can we be ready and aware if we're we're, we're ingesting stuff that's destroying our minds and, and killing our awareness and uh our sense of self so i think that's that's one of the first steps is just being healthy so that we really can uh put up a strong resistance yeah i mean it starts at home right so we gotta we gotta be good with our food we gotta be good with everything that we ingest really so be careful with like the media you're consuming the food you're consuming where you're spending your money and also like if we're talking about where to start if there are any people of color out there who have the capacity to do some emotional labor <laughs> and help some European Americans realize where they are and where like certain well-meaning European Americans can help us mm-hmm. by teaching their comrades what to do and what not to do, okay. that would be fantastic. Um, 
that that uh, role has fallen mainly upon the shoulders of people of color, and I don't think we're we're we, we can't do it anymore. Well, yeah, well, it's definitely <laughs> a shared alone. responsibility. It's definitely that. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us, and thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, uh, Aria. Thank you, uh, Junior. Uh, thank you very much for appearing. Uh, that brings us to the end of our show tonight. Uh, Shades of Color will be back in the future to build upon what was discussed uh, tonight in the topics of community, uh, the police, uh, racial identity, and other factors. Uh, we would like to thank Ms. Monica Scott Davis for lending us her expertise for the evening. Once again, you can find Monica's contact information on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Last week was her birthday, so we all wish Monica a happy belated birthday. Hey. Happy birthday. <laughs> our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Franklin Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And we have been your host this evening, Stevie G. Ariel Moshirian, a.k.a. Shafiq Ebensina. And Mr. Junior Jackson was our special guest. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. And on the board, we have Darlene. And our tech assistants uh, from Group 43, Ms. Sharon Peterson. Stay tuned for La Onda Fajita.